好吗？Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we broadcast today from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you by the Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Risk off, I think, is probably one of the best ways to describe what we're seeing in the marketplace today. A lot of outside market influences we're going to talk about today. Add to it uh, COVID in China. How is that impacting the imports? We'll also look at the U.N. and the moving of grain, and there's been a lot of push to try to help get some grains moved, obviously to help feed some needy countries as well. But if you look at what's happening, and and Arlen Suderman joins us. He is with StoneX, and, you know, we kind of joke about it being the, you know, 201 uh, for your instead of your 402 plan when it comes to savings. But there's a lot of Wall Street influence that we're seeing today, and Arlen, it's got to make you nervous when you see a risk-off day like we saw today in the markets. Yeah, it really does. And we measure fear levels on uh, Wall Street with the VIX, which is known as the fear index on Wall Street. We've talked about it on here before. It normally trades between 10 and 20 to give you a little bit of reference point. We've had it rarely trades above 50. Uh, There's twice that it's gone. It's really spiked up. And once was during October of 2008 during the financial crisis when it spiked to about 87 and a half. The other was when COVID hit and we were shutting down the country. Nobody knew what COVID really was, what the final impact would be on our economy, and it spiked to 85.7 or so. Um, But I have observed over my career the last four decades, whenever the VIX trades above 30, it's very difficult for any asset to really sustain a rally. It's usually fund managers just moving money to the sideline playing it safe until they can figure out what's going on, and uh, fear does that. You can sustain a rally in a commodity if you have a really strong story, and when the fear spikes, a lot of times you'll get that sell-off, and then the VIX may stay high, but if that asset has a strong fundamental story, then the money can start coming back into that particular asset. But for today, we spiked up and we spiked up to about 31. Uh, we started out the morning near 26, and so we moved up about five points. That's a significant move for the VIX in one day's time, showing the escalation of fear on Wall Street. And so it pretty much was moving to the sideline. We did have a few commodities that were able to manage to work their way against the VIX. Uh, lean hogs was one, soy meal was another one, um, and that's pretty impressive to be able to do that, but most of, of the rest of the ags saw some heavy liquidation today. And when the, when the commodities are at high levels, high altitude, so to speak, like uh, coming into today, we were, you know, Kansas City wheat was looking upwards at $14. It's pretty high level. That makes it that much more vulnerable, and we certainly saw that today. So you look at that, and obviously the nervousness, I think, starts from the very beginning. How fast does the CME, for example, react when they see those, the, the Wall Street and the outside market influences? Um, how fast does it react in the trade? It's pretty yeah, it's pretty fast because let's keep in mind that the overwhelming majority of the trades uh, in these markets are done by computers. 
And so they're programmed to read these signals and to respond pretty quickly. And then others are programmed uh, to read momentum signals. So as momentum heads to the upside or downside, they place orders that correspond to the direction of that momentum, which just kind of amplifies the move. So in today's computer-driven trade world, we seldom have small moves. They tend to be big, and particularly on a day like today. So looking at, obviously, lower grains today, we, we see the wheat tour that's taking place. How much of an influence is that wheat tour having on the prices, or is it something we already kind of had been factoring in, and that was lower yields? You know, I think in a normal situation, it probably would have had more of an impact. Today was the day the wheat tour saw the worst of the wheat, and I, I guess maybe wheat might have been down the full daily limit. If not for the tour, I don't know. I, I really doubt that the trade has a, a real handle on what's going on in the southwestern plains and how bad the crop is. Uh, the wheat tour is certainly starting to discover that. Uh, but on a day like today, it really doesn't matter. Um, they're looking at these fundamentals through the filter of fear. Um, they'll trade those fundamentals another day. At some point, those numbers will matter. And to some extent, we've priced a lot of it in. Um, but I tell you, some of the pictures what we're seeing uh, really tell the story what it's like. And particularly, you go southwest Kansas down through the Oklahoma and Texas panhandle, uh, where some of it, they just haven't had rains. And it, it looks like winter dormancy and just not much crop there. And so uh, it, it, it's not a pretty picture. And, and all they need to do is see the wind pick up again and the dust start to move, and you really dramatic get a dramatic vision of it. Oh, very much so. And to let our listeners know, I retweeted a picture. Clay Patton is on the wheat tour, and they said there was a crack that they found. It was almost 20 inches down next to a wheat field. And you look at how brown that wheat is, and it does. It looks like we should be finishing up the season, not be in the part of the season we're in right now. Yeah, and as I recall, that picture was taken further to the east, still kind of western Kansas, but further to the east where the drought's not as bad. And uh, so it's not a pretty picture at all out there. We're looking at some significant production losses at a, in a year when we can't afford to have those losses, particularly now with Ukraine being largely absent from the world market and with the planting delays in the northern plains continuing to rack up. Northern plains, we're probably going to see spring wheat get planted late if we get the opportunity. We may see a few small open windows here in the next couple of weeks, but we'll probably see a lot of it planted late, um, but it's it's just really going to be tough, and that'll have some yield drag. You bet, and as you and I have talked before, we're not the only ones dealing with dry weather. Well, stick around, folks. When we come back, we're going to continue to take a look at what's happening in this market. Talk about COVID in China, especially as it sees an impact on the imports. We'll also look at moving of the grain out of the war-torn areas of Ukraine, and then soybeans in China, what it all means. It's a Fontenelle final bell on the we're back with another Fontenelle feature. I'm Joe Gangwish of Fontenelle Hybrids, visiting with dealer Norm Brueger in the Albion area. Norm, tell us about one of the positive aspects that you enjoy most about working with Fontenelle. I feel that uh, the Fontenelle seed uh, is very consistent year in and year out. You know, the weather in Nebraska, we got late plant, we've got drought, we've got insect pressure, and Fontenelle seems to be steady. We're always kind of rolls right through all of those weather conditions and uh, anything Mother Nature throws, it, it seems to uh, withstand the conditions that we plant in very, very well. 
They are wonderful to work with uh, Fontenelle people. We've had excellent district sales managers and return customers. Uh, they come back. They're satisfied. It's a real joy working with Fontenelle people. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can certainly contact Norm Brueger in the Albion area, any one of your local Fontenelle dealers, or you can find us on Facebook or by going to Fontenelle.com. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing our conversation this afternoon with Arlen Suderman. Arlen is with Stonex. And I want to talk a little bit about COVID in China. I think you have had some of the best um, intel information coming out of China when it comes to the lockdowns and, and what extreme those lockdowns are, are and then how in turn it's affecting our imports and exports. Well, I think the, probably the one statistic that I saw that tells the story best was in Shanghai, which is a city of about 26 million people. The latest data coming out on car sales shows that zero cars, not a single car, was sold in Shanghai in the month of April. 26 million people. Uh, that really tells the story. People locked in their homes can't go outside. They have started to open up a little bit. Um, They're allowing people in certain districts to go out for maybe four-hour periods of time at assigned times when they can go outside to the street and then be back home. Um, They're allowing some cars to leave in the city, but they must have a a permit um, that they garnered within six hours of when they leave. A lot of different restrictions. It's hard for us to comprehend how strict the lockdown was. The lockdowns we saw in the United States weren't anything compared to what they're seeing there. And that's not just Shanghai. We're talking about um, really over 300 million people that are in that kind of various kinds of lockdowns. I think it was closer to 373 million people or 26% of the population of China. And so that has had a huge impact on consumption, consumption of goods and services. Yes, people still eat, but it changes what they eat and how they eat. And in many places, people went hungry because they weren't out, able to go outside to get food. There were not enough delivery people to deliver food. Uh, the problems were monumental. And energy was probably the component that took the biggest hit. Now that that we're starting to see some reopening, energy consumption is going up. It's got a lot more it can go up. And uh, we're already treating crude oil up in the, around the 100 and teens level. So that has more upside potential. That has an impact on inflation. That has an impact on the food-based commodities as well. So it has a big impact on our markets. So did China, were they the unknown in the bean purchase that was announced today? Well, that's what's going to be assumed. Another, what, 8.4 million bushels. The overwhelming majority, that was for new crop soybeans. If you look at uh, the near-term grind margins, crush margins for China, they've been been pretty poor. And so uh, crushers have generally been going hand-to-mouth, only buying the beans as they need them and importing them largely focused on Brazil. But as we get into summer now, the U.S. beans are much more competitive because basis levels for summer loading or June, July, August loading are much stronger in Brazil due to the tightening supplies after their short crop this year. And so 
as we look at what China needs, they are short bought for their July and August shipment levels. So we're anticipating that they're going to need to buy more. I've been saying that USDA, of course, lowered their import number to 92 million metric tons for China this year, down from 99.7. And I've been saying that I felt like they had overdid it to the downside. And I learned from our person on the ground and my employee on the ground in China talking to the crushers there that they've been listening to me make those comments and that they, they said, tell Arlen that we agree with them. We think it'll be closer to 93 to 95 million metric tons, which means more business coming our way, higher exports. And even this week's export inspection report, shipments to China weren't that much because, of course, Brazil's still supplying the beans now. Um, but non-China business was impressive. 28 million bushel ship total. That's about twice what we normally would do this time of year. So that was non-China business. And if China starts stepping up as we expect, I think it'll be a strong fourth quarter of the marketing year. What about the UN stepping in and saying we need to get this grain moved out of war-torn Ukraine? Nice effort by the United Nations. I'm not optimistic. Russia is basically weaponizing food and energy in order to get an advantage in uh, over Ukraine and over the rest of the world in this. It's a strategy that they're following. And so I'm not real optimistic. They've been able to export about a million metric tons of grain over the western border, over land, by rail. I've talked before about some of the challenges of doing that via rail. That's about 20% of what they were exporting over through their ports prior to the war. It's going to become more challenging, though, here in the next few months as those Eastern European countries through which the Ukraine grain is moving now uh, is going to be occupying those rail lines for their own grain as they harvest. So it's going to be a little more difficult. All right. Great things today. We talked about Ireland. Best way for folks to get a hold of you? Uh, StoneX.com or over on Twitter. My handle is Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. And that is today's Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.